Everybody here? Hello. Nothing like a group of ladies quietly talking. We make our own noise, don't we? Oh, wow. I'm glad you're here. I think I'm all dressed and in my right mind anyway. <laughs> hope so. <laughs> you never know. Um, let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll try to get right into the lesson. We have a lot to do today. Yes. Um, can we pray for the Hofstrands? Can we pray for the Hofstrands? Hofstrands? Yeah. Um, their baby girl was born on Saturday, uh, six weeks early. And she's having a lot of... Ooh. Pretty serious complications. Okay. So, wow. Rihanna. Is it having complications? Or no, the baby is. Yeah. Rihanna's fine. Oh, is she better? Rihanna's fine. Let me just... Wow. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord of all. We thank you that this morning we're going to see that in our lesson, and we praise you, Lord, that... You are still the same. Thank you, Jesus. And we bring to you the Hofstrand family and their newborn baby, and we ask, oh God, that you would just touch that little body, take care of the family too in their concern, and, and as they, I know, are crying out to you. So Lord, we bring all of these things to you. We thank you, Lord, that our times are in your hand. We ask that you would just guide us and lead us. Take us through this lesson, Lord, so we have a better understanding of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, how many of you have read the lesson? Woohoo! I have to tell you, because I'm sure that some of you saw on page two of your lesson, a really long reference at the top of the page. Exodus 7, 14 through 19, 29. That, that wasn't 10 on my original copy. And, you know, when I start typing for, for fixing things up, I oftentimes, and I saw that while I was studying, and I thought, oh, you poor things, you probably thought I lost my mind. <laughs> so um, it's, it's actually through Exodus 10, 29. So... <clears throat> But I, I never have control over my, you know, <laughs> my fingers wander where my mind doesn't go. <laughs> so um, we are going to be talking about when God goes to war and about the battle between the gods, small g, of Egypt and the Lord God Jehovah. That's really what this material is about. And we'll see that the Egyptians had numerous gods. The, the 10 that are listed here that are um, attacking or are attacked by God are just a minute part of their gods and goddesses. They were a fearful people, powerful but fearful. And Pharaoh himself was a powerful ruler, but ruled out of fear and ruled by causing fear. But they had a panoply of gods that covered almost every living thing and every part of themselves. 
And so when God goes to war against the gods of Egypt, which he says he will do, and he does, he is going against a panoply of gods, powers, principalities, and powers that we cannot see, but that Satan has control over. Satan is a defeated foe. They are all acting out of um, the permission of God, even now, because Jesus has raised us to sit in him far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions. But yet the Bible tells us that Satan is the god of this age and the prince of the power of the air. So just so you get that picture, you have Almighty God going against an array of powers. But he is more powerful than all. And that's what we see in our lesson today. So keep that in mind, okay? Any questions or comments about that before we start? So we are dealing with the power of God against an invisible foe um, who empowers people on earth and has power. We know that Satan has power, but God's power is greater still. Satan is a defeated foe that continues to rage like a spoiled child. <laughs> so... Um, I want to read, starting in Exodus 7, 1 through 5, it's just basic, basically the introduction to the lesson, and then we'll take the list of verses that I have there that talk about God's purpose in the plagues. So starting in 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. So God is announcing what he's going to do here. and he, he lets them know his plans and his purposes for the nation of Egypt. And all of this is designed to glorify God, the God of heaven and of earth. And he, he wants Egypt to recognize him. And they hardly do. So let's start with the um, first part of the lesson where God's purpose is revealed in the place and what did he want his people to know. And in those first verses, we go all the way over um, <coughs> a whole list of references there. But in Exodus 7, 5, he wanted the Egyptians to know what? I am the Lord. That I am the Lord. That I am the one and only God, the creator. All right? I am the Lord. Then over in Exodus 9, 13 through 16, and 9, 35, we have some um, statements that he makes 
And I want to take them one by one so that we have some time to think about them a little. In 914, what does he say? <clears throat> there is there no one like he wants them to know that there is no one like God on earth. Now you'll notice the plagues involve parts of the earth, the aspects of nature and the gods that the Egyptians have put over them. So God is dealing with earth. And he says, I want them to know that I am not just the God of heaven, but I am the God of earth as well. I'm the creator. All right, verse 16 in chapter 9 tells us what? That I may do what? I might show you or declare my power and that my might might be proclaimed in all the earth. He's out to prove himself, to show himself God. And then in verse 29 of chapter 9 as well. Let's see. I think that's the correct verse. What does he say? So you may know what? That the earth is the Lord's. So he kind of sets his, his um, sights on proving he is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, Lord of all. Now, in Exodus 10, 1 and 2, what is his purpose as he declares it there? He mocks the Egyptians so that they may know that God is the Lord. All right. He mocks the Egyptians so they will know that God is the Lord. And um, he says, we want you to know that I'm dealing harshly with Pharaoh so that he will know, too, that I am the Lord. Exodus 12, 12, I will bring judgment on what? The gods of Egypt. So he's declaring his purpose. And he wants them to know that he is God, as opposed to Pharaoh, who is the Lord of Egypt and the gods that the people choose to worship. So it's, it's a war between our Lord God and those powers that Satan has arrayed and is ready to work against, even with us. <clears throat> so what we have here is the conflict of the ages, and I'm going to use that term probably again and again during this. This is a conflict that isn't just part and parcel of Egypt's past, but it is a conflict that goes on today. So we recognize that. And um, the Old Testament is, the new is in the old revealed. That's what we're going to talk about here also, how we see the Christ of the Gospels revealed here and how the old is concealed in the new. But the new is in the Old Testament revealed and the old is in the new concealed. So the deliverance of Israel, just the paragraph, gives us a wonderful picture of our redemption by Christ. And I want you to think about the circumstances and the people that were involved in these early chapters that point forward to what we see of Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week, um, that we see of Jesus and his offer of salvation in the Gospels. How do you see this relating so far? Don't go any further than what, what we've covered, but what do you see in what we've covered in the last two weeks that point forward to the salvation that the Lord Jesus offers us in the New Testament. If the old, the new is in the old revealed, what do you see revealed? Leaving Egypt, they went um, into the promised land, which um, we read what I've, I've written here, I've done so much 
what the work. Um, and the promise was through the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. So he takes them out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt and into what is really the land of promise, which, a, which is a land of freedom, prosperity, the graciousness of God revealed out of Egypt into the land that God has promised. And it's a picture of the Lord taking us out of the bondage of sin and into the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, where he is Lord of our lives and we are not bound up in sin. I'm going to just give you a couple of verses here. If you would take a minute and look up Luke 19.10. What does it say? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's a picture of what God is doing here in Egypt. He came down to take those people out of bondage. They have been lost in sin. And it's a picture of the same thing that Jesus is coming to do for us. And then go to John 10.10. 10. Many of you know this by heart. What is it? The thief comes to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan was doing in Egypt. That's what Pharaoh was doing, to kill them, to destroy them, to keep them in bondage. But I am come that you might have what? Life. Life. And have it to the fullest. That's the promise of God from beginning to end in the Bible. So the new is in the old revealed. The old is in the new concealed. So let's take a look at page two on your outline, and I have it titled, God Goes to War. And we're going to take a look at the plagues of Egypt. <clears throat> and I've been wondering just exactly how to present this, because I don't want to skip it, and yet I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it so that we get bogged down on each. But I want you to um, look at the plagues for a moment, and I'm just going to give you a few little um, facts about them, um, per se. First of all, if you, if you look at the at least the first nine, they're grouped in groups of three. So we have um, the first three, the blood, the frogs, the gnats, and the that portion is divided up in aspects of intense discomfort that God brings upon the people. He, he troubles them with things. And the next three are the flies, the livestock, and the boils. Again, extreme discomfort, but also this time includes the cattle so that their possessions are affected. Intensifies all of the plagues. That's basically what happens as we start at the beginning, from the blood to the frogs to the gnats to the flies and so on. And it increases. The last three have to do with destruction and death. We have hail, 
locusts, think of the destruction as we talk about those later. And the darkness that was so dark it can be felt. Can you imagine that? <laughs> to feel the darkness. You could not see your hand in front of your face. And then, of course, the death of the firstborn. And that's what we'll be talking about next week. So we'll be dealing with the nine plagues primarily this time. So I'm going to um, take a look at this this way. We'll kind of go quickly through them. And I, I gave you the sheet because I think that this really puts them in perspective. And it's a nice, easy way to, to cover them. Um, it's not that I want to hurry them and don't think they're important. They are. <laughs> but um, I want you to, if you've done your lesson, um, just call out some of your descriptions as we, as we go through them. And I thought we would take them one at a time, not spend a whole lot of time on each, but I want, it, I want you to be struck by the seriousness of them. So we know that the first plague is, is the plague of blood. What did you... What did you learn about that as you read your scriptures and maybe took some notes for those of you who've gone ahead and done this? The fish died and the water was undrinkable. All right. Fish died, water undrinkable, everything filled with blood in a nation that hated the uncleanness of anything. You think about blood covering all of your surfaces, covering the ground, coming up out of the river that they got their water from, that they washed their clothes in, that they put their clothing in and, and got their drinking water from. And so the people were immediately um, bent out of shape, and Pharaoh too. But Pharaoh was able to call the magicians, and the magicians could do what? They duplicated it. Now I want you to know that the Bible does not tell you how they did it, except to say, by their magic arts. What does that tell you about their masters? Powerful. Do not doubt the power of the enemy. Do not play with it or think it's not important. But God is more important still, yes. Do we know how long? No. We don't know how long, and it doesn't tell us when it ended. It, God does not tell us when that particular plague ended. Yes. One thing that I found interesting, and I don't know if it's important enough or at all, but Moses confronted him on the bank of the Nile, mm -hmm. not in his right. palace. And God calls him down there and says, I want you to meet with him. And I think that is important because it was really after the... Um, the staff was thrown on the ground and they were turned into serpents. This is really the first plague. And he calls Pharaoh out and meets with him. Now, can you imagine why he would do that? Why, why might God do that? Jan? Some, uh, Alfred Edersheimer, somebody said he was doing a morning offering. Mm -hmm. Pharaoh was. And here the contrast, the attack against that particular God. Right, and, and the Nile River was their most holy God. It gave them life because every year it would flood and disperse over the land and the crops would rise up because Egypt was a desert land and lived off of, think about the Nile in the picture from your grade school pictures where the delta comes out like this 
And so Pharaoh and Moses meet on that bank of that most important element of nature that God is going to show he has power over and they worship it as a God. Now, it did say about the blood, all, all waters turn. Mm -hmm. So does this mean that they had wells that turned to blood too? They and would have. Musicians duplicated if it was all blood already. I do not know. And uh, God, there's so many questions that can come up see, in my mind. God, uh, I know. I thought of all those two, and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to talk about this? Verse 24 <laughs> says that they could dig for fresh water. What? Verse 24 says they yes. could still dig for fresh water. They could water. dig, and they dug along the Nile for fresh water. Mm -hmm. And that didn't turn. Apparently not. So people didn't all die. Yeah, them. they didn't all die. What were you going to say, Michelle? I was just thinking about in the beginning of Exodus when Pharaoh said that every um, every boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile. And then here comes up blood at their life source. Oh, you know, like, oh. you did this to my... <sighs> Yeah. You know, and here's the blood that comes That out. is, and, and see, the Nile was considered their life source. If you lived there, you would still probably look to it as that most important thing. But yeah, I remember reading that, Jan, that they did dig along the sides of the Nile, but God purposely doesn't tell us when it's ended or how. doesn't tell us how the magicians did that. Now, this... Did this affect the Israelites at this point? Because a couple down through the plagues, it finally says it didn't touch the Israelites. Right. But the first three, I believe, I'm, I'm looking at down to about uh, not in Israel, number five. The first ones did affect the Israelites as well. Okay. Now, why would he do that? They needed to learn he was God also. See, they had been in Egypt so long. They were covered with Egypt. <laughs> Part and parcel of it. Okay. So they needed to know also that this was their God acting on behalf of them. Just think about it. <laughs> the other thing I, I was thinking of today, um, Egypt was a highly civilized nation. I mean, they were building the, the tombs for the dead kings. They were saving their relics. And it actually worshiped the dead. And... And I can't even imagine coming upon a nation that valued cleanliness and order and their own religions and having this happen. I mean, you think we have issues now? <laughs> it must have been really something to have happen. Now, let's take the second one and, and kind of keep going here. The second one is the plague of the frogs. So what happens in that? Again, just kind of share from your notes and your thoughts. The frogs, by the way, represented a fertility god. <laughs> I think I have her name here somewhere. Hika, H-E-K-A. <laughs> so frogs, what about them? Good pets? <laughs> All right, let's hear what happened. <laughs> they were everywhere. Frogs were everywhere. Came up out of the river. Entered the homes. Covered the streets, wherever they were. There were frogs. What about Pharaoh's reaction? He called for Moses and asked him, or said, called him and asked him to remove the frogs. I think he also, in verse 8, said, I'll let your people go and offer sacrifices if you do. And then changes his mind after Moses prays and the frogs are gone. 
All right, let's go on to the gnats. I want you to think about this because um, I think your Bibles probably say frog, uh, flies, but a lot of the uh, Bibles will say they were gnats. You know those little pesty things that get in the back of your neck mm -hmm. in the spring? What happened to the lice? Yeah, mine said lice. Does yours say lice? That's what I grew up learning. I think in the King James it is nice. Lice. Lice is nice. <laughs> yes, Jan, what were you going to say? Just back to the frogs, this same guy I was reading, because I didn't know this, said um, some of the, a little bit of the frogs were normal at this time, but this was way over and above and extensive, and the way Moses did it was, I will let you decide the time yes. so that you can see that God is the one that is taking care right. of this. Right. So what Moses does is always try to bring out the power and, and presence of God. Yes, Jan. And those gnats are like the noceums in Florida, and they are <laughs> terrible. They're And can you imagine having them as many as they had? I mean, we only had a few. But... But they, it, and he, he tells them, touch, the, touch the dust of the ground, and they will become gnats or lice. I think the King James Bible does use lice, and I think what he's referring to is little noceums. They're all over. Jan. Another picture of that when our Sharon was in Uganda with the Peace Corps, she got fleas because of rats where she lived. Mm -hmm. And she said those were the most miserable 10 days of her entire life. <laughs> I so am I'm sure. The gnats are along that order. Yes, I do too. Pesty little mites. Okay, so let's go. How about from gnats to flies? <laughs> Swarms of flies everywhere. Um, the fly god is Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. How many of you had to read that book in high school? The Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. Is that specifically Egyptian God? It is. It was an Egyptian God. And this is the one that the people in the land of Goshen were not affected. Right. The next one down, um, let's see, the livestock died, but not in Israel. So the flies under Beelzebub. And how about um, Pharaoh's reaction in that real quick? He wanted supplication to him, not to God. <coughs> Pray for me. But don't pray to God, just do what I need you to do. All right, the next one then is um, the plague of flies. What did Pharaoh have to say about that? Check out, I think it's verse 25. Go, but stay in Egypt. You can go, but don't go where you need to go. Go where I tell you to go. All right. Now, you can imagine flies everywhere, and Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let them go after he had made that promise. So let's go on to the livestock. Um, it was the livestock in Egypt that were affected, not in Israel. And that was um, an attack really on their possessions and on the bull god and the heifer god. And if you ever have an opportunity to see um, like the King Tut exhibition when it, when it came through um, Milwaukee. We got to see it. 
the, the beasts are displayed on almost all of their symbolism, on their pottery, on the things that, that they have been able to take out of the tombs. So those animal gods were part and parcel of what they worshiped because that provided their living. So he attacks them in that area. And again, Pharaoh's heart was unyielding and he would not let them go. How about number six? Took of the soot out of the fireplaces and it became what? Boils. Now I want you to notice this. You see the minute things that God has power over? The sand that they walk upon, the soot that comes off of the, it was part of the brick making process too. And everywhere it touched, and if it touched you, and it filled the air, their bodies were covered with boils. Now, could the magicians copy that? Or answer? They could not because they were so sore they couldn't respond. And the Bible basically says that. Um, the boils afflict both man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Pharaoh because of the boils that were on them. Total pain. You ever had a boil? Be covered with boils? Mm. Okay. Number seven. Um, what was it? A hailstorm. Hail. Hail what happened? They Think all got new roofs. They all got new roofs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, again, their crops and their possessions, their livelihood was attacked by the Lord of Heaven. And so all that they needed for food, and it says that all of the crops except the spelt, one of those earliest crops, was not destroyed. But everything was destroyed by that plague of, of the hail. Um, Some Egyptians decided to take their people and their livestock inside. Right. God warned them even about taking your things inside. And some of the Egyptians did take their animals and their crops and so on and save as much as they could. But those that didn't lost just about everything. And again, um, I think Pharaoh asked them to pray for him or remove them. I'll let you go. I will let you go, but. <laughs> um, what did he say? He said. Um, he said he had sinned or something. Yes, he had All right. And after the hail came locusts. Now, so one beat down everything, and the locusts, and these were large locusts. These were not just your friendly little grasshoppers. Um, I, I looked this up in the scriptures, and it talked about the only other place that this type of a locust is mentioned is in the book of Revelation, when they come out of the pit during the tribulation period. So this was a God, a work of God, bringing these locusts up out of the ground or wherever they came from, and they were large locusts. They ate every other thing that was left from the hailstorm. And Pharaoh would not let the people go. <clears throat> Marcia, I'm not sure which one it is exactly, but wasn't there a point where he said, you go, but don't take yes. women and the kids? Which one is that? I think that is the number woman, nine. number nine. Okay. Is that the darkness? And the one before it, he said, um, let, 
Yeah. Number eight, I have let the men go, leave the women and children. Mm -hmm. And then number nine is worship the Lord, leave your young and your cat. Oh, leave your cattle here. Yeah. Don't take your possessions with you. I want your cattle to help build my land back up again. So we have the locust sin that destroyed everything. Compromise for number eight, which would be locusts. Reneged on his promise. And then the plague of darkness. There were also two plagues where Pharaoh said, pray for me for I have sinned. Mm -hmm. Yes, I recognize that I haven't done things right. Now, um, we go from this then, and I want to talk about this specifically. I want to take some time and talk about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart as he displays it through the plagues. Because last week we talked a little bit about the hardness of his heart, and the question always comes up. How could God harden his heart so he could not turn and, and, and obey God? And is that what really happened here? And so we're going to spend the rest of the time that we have uh, today on page three, basically talking about Pharaoh's behavior and how we can align that with the scriptures. Because that is something that, um, if you're ever studying, and I'm sure Alfred Edersheim had a whole lot to say about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> um, commentators will lean one way or the other that Pharaoh's heart was hard in the beginning, but the Bible expressly tells us, yes, his heart was hard, but God hardened his heart. And the problem people have is how could God, who is a loving God, harden a heart so that he did not repent? Okay? Now, one of the things you have to remember is this. The Bible is true. All of it. The Bible states that God is a God of love and of perfect love. He's also a God of justice and of perfect justice. He's also all-powerful. He's our creator. He made us. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the one who gets to determine what will occur. That sound terrible? He is our maker. And he is our Lord. But he is a loving, gracious, forgiving God. And then we see this happen, where it says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. So how can the two be true? Do you ever think about that? Because the Bible says God is a God of perfect love, perfect holiness, a God of perfect justice, perfect righteousness. And he cannot do what is wrong? So, we'll see what we find out. Yes? I, I think that probably the most important point here is that God wishes that no man should perish. Amen. And that's what the Bible says. It says, this is exactly what it says, that the Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Was he long-suffering with Pharaoh? 
Yes, absolutely. He gave him opportunity all along the way as he gives every person opportunity. And before I go to the verses on here, I want to take you over to Romans chapter 1 because we find out that people behave very much like Pharaoh. And God loves them. When you read John 3.16, it doesn't say that God so loved the world except for really bad guys like Pharaoh. He loved the world. That whosoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes, would have everlasting life. All right? So Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> I want to start with, let's start with verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Did Pharaoh do that? He suppressed the truth and he was godless. His gods were the gods of nature, the gods of around him. Then it says, since what may be known about God is what? What's the word? Plain. Plain to them, not hidden from them. God does not hide his face from us. All right, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what? How is his divine nature revealed? In creation. It has been revealed, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God has made himself known all around us by the very things that the Egyptians worshiped. They worshiped the gods of nature. They made what is seen into something that it was not. They made what God made for them to reveal himself into revealing minor gods, gods of grass, gods of wood, gods of the sand itself. So man takes the blessings of God and changes them into that which is not godly. And so God has given every person the ability to know him through what has been made. Does that make sense to you? You look around, you look at the stars in the sky. Who has made them? He says that in, in Isaiah 40. Lift up your eyes and look on high. Who created all these things? He brings them out by number. He knows them all by name. Not one fails, for he is mighty in power. And that is the God that Pharaoh laughed at and was satisfied with worshiping the gods of nature. He took what God had created and made it into something that it was not ever meant to be. So let's go on here. For although they knew God, 
They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, darkened so that they could not see. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Did Egypt do that? Yes. Took what God had made and made it into man-made creatures, gods, goddesses that had no power. So, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. And then he goes on and describes um, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Egypt. Yes, Joan. Um, if I can ask this question. So Romans explains why God dealt with the nation of Egypt for the hardened heart of Pharaoh, their leader. I mean the whole nation. The whole nation. Because the nation did not recognize God either, even when these plagues were coming down. God is saying, you all should know me by what I have done. You all should know me. Man does it today. Does our country, as, an, as a large country, again, worship God? We started out that way. But now we worship and serve whatever we choose to worship and serve. And that's what God is saying. Now, it's important here that we notice this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Does man still do that? Absolutely. And worshiped and served created things rather than the creature, than the creator. People do that today? Absolutely. They're so scared of gods, of nature, that we have climate troubles caused by whatever powers, and they think we can stop this? We shake our little fist against the God of creation and say, I am going to stop you from bringing hail or lightning in Texas. <laughs> you see, we cannot stop God. He is God. Question down wherever. Yes. Isn't there a scripture that says because of sin, God gave them over to their delusion? We're getting to it. Good. <laughs> but we are. I'm going to read that. He exchanged the truth for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, here's your verse. Beautiful. Because of them, this God gave them over to shameful lusts. And then it goes on, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, received themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Is that the verse you were thinking of? Uh, no. 
but let's keep going. Maybe we'll find it. <laughs> they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, deceit, malice. They're gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, <clears throat> but also approve of them that practice them. And God gives them over to do what ought not to be done. And this happens in any society. It happened in Egypt. It was a pagan country that worshiped, God, that worshiped not God, worshiped their own gods. So when we read about this, we read that God gives them over to a depraved mind. He gives them over and allows them to continue in their sin. And that, as that occurs, they become hardened and hardened to God so that they reach a point where they do not recognize him nor want to. Yes, Lynn? So is the lie believing that we are gods of our own life? Mm -hmm. Believing that God is not God, but that we are God or that those things that we worship then become our God. We replace God, either with ourselves or with habits or people. We replace the living God. We want to set the standard and make the rules. We want to set the standards, make the rules, be our own God. Pharaoh was his own God. And God basically gave him over. But he does that. Now that's a warning to us. It's a warning to us to be in prayer for those that do not know the Lord. And I want you to know this. The Bible never tells you to stop praying for somebody because their hearts are hardened. Now, I have to leave that here today. But I want you to do this. I have some references here in your lesson to talk about the will of God and how he chose to do what he did in order to make it possible for Israel to come out of Egypt. God went to the cross. The Lord Jesus went to the cross so that we could come out of the bondage of sin. And to do that, he overcame all that was of Satan. In other words, Jesus has destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. It says that in Hebrews 2.14, who all of our lifetimes kept us in bondage to fear of death. He has destroyed death. And then it said he has spoiled principalities and powers on the cross and done away with them, triumphing over them in his own death. He triumphed over the enemy in his death, and Jesus rose from the dead triumphant. So what he has done is to give us an opportunity for life so that those bonds that hold us, those gods of this world, cannot claim us if we choose to follow him. Now, I'm going to hit on this again next week when we have a little bit more time. But take these references and then 
in the process of, if you're reading those and are scratching your head, go to Romans um, 11, or Romans 10, verses 9 through 11, and read that passage down. Because it will tell you how God gives people over, and then it will say in the next page, it says, but how will they hear except one be sent? How can you be saved unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And that that gospel has come to all of us who believe. So Pharaoh's heart was made hard so God could use Pharaoh to bring the Israelites to freedom. Not out of an unjust heart, but out of a perfect and pure heart. Because Pharaoh, in God's foreknowledge, was not going to change his mind. Sandy. I have written, and I don't know where I got it, but that in the hardening of his heart, God removed his grace. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as easy. Pharaoh still could have repented, but without God's grace there, it made Mm -hmm. it harder to do it. And I think that's like it's going to be at end times when the right. Holy Spirit is gone. Take it up. People will still be able to come to the Lord, but it's going to be much harder. It's a really good point. And, and not only that, that's why I'm saying when you think people are beyond repair, keep praying for them. Because they may have calluses over their heart that just keep them from finding him. And our prayers break that hold. That's what Jesus did at Calvary. He took away that power that Satan had to continue to hold us. And we stand in the gap for them and pray for them to come to know the Lord. So even if we don't see them meet the Lord, our responsibility is still to continue to pray. For his desire is that all will be saved and none will be lost. Okay, Michelle, I'll give you a few minutes here. <laughs> yes. Just repeat that last thing you said about God's foreknowledge, because I think that's a really important God has perfect foreknowledge. He knows who will be saved and who will be lost. And that's an argument in itself. I can teach many days on that one. That's another doctrinal thing that scholars love to deal with. But you have to know that he is an all-knowing God. And it says that he knew you from before the foundation of the world and that Jesus died for us before the foundation of the world. We've been called in him. And, that, and he's justified mm-hmm. in hardening Pharaoh's heart because he knew from the beginning that he was right. going to turn. He's a just God. Next week we'll talk about that some more. But, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to think about, hard to realize. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so the big question is then how do we apply all of this to our lives? How do we reflect on the character of God and help it help us have, you know, the warnings, the endurance and the hope that we have set before us? So Instead of going, since we just talked about Pharaoh's hard heart, instead of going to question one, I want to start with question two and talk about how this can apply to our lives. So in question two, I wrote, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart after many opportunities to open his eyes and see the true God. Eventually, God gave him over to his decisions, which everything Marcia just talked about. So then how do we take that and apply it to our lives? 
And the question that I propose there is, is there a disobedient area of your heart that is hardened to truth? But before we go there, I wanted to say that how thankful that we can be that our hearts are softened, that God allowed that for us. As hard as it is to say, why, why does God do what he does? We have to believe he's good. We have to believe he's just. And we know these things. But to be, in a sense, so thankful that we have softened hearts, you know, that God chose us. And that comes with big responsibility, too. So what we don't want to do is let areas of our lives as Christians be given over to the hardening and the stiffening of the spirit. So common ways of disobedience, because I didn't think anyone was going to raise their hand and be like, here's where I'm struggling, you know? (laughs) So different things I thought of. Do they reflect me? Probably some. I was thinking about priorities, you know, where you're placing your priorities. I was thinking about anger. I was thinking about greed, lust, gluttony, pridefulness, just simply being mean, not loving other people, maybe gossip and maybe judgment, or maybe just simply being unloving, not yielding to Jesus's command to love God and love others. So in what ways then, when this starts to creep up, how do we, we need to recognize this in order to deal with it, right? So what ways do we ignore the voice of God and cling to the hardened heart and cling to our own will, our own desire to rule? How do we do that? What ways do we do it nicely? Shalene? Um, I was trying to figure out a way to put this in words when Marshall was up there talking too, but as you're talking, in Romans um, 21, Really, the the very beginning of our demise is not glorifying God and not being thankful. So by not glorifying God, taking him off the throne, putting ourselves on the throne, and then, you know, not being thankful. Because no matter how hard life is, there are things to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. And those two things right there can keep us busy for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the key, right? Not putting God on the throne of our lives. When he's made himself obvious to us in the things around us, we say, no, God. Anything else? We also justify our attitude or, mm-hmm. you know, so we're taking God off the throne, but we're justifying, I've got a right to be angry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was thinking along that line, too, that, and sometimes when we read something, we think, well, that's not me, but that's so-and-so. I can see there. <laughs> right. You know, whatever it is. That'd be like a comparison. Like, right. I'm not that bad because we'll look at that. Right. And God might be speaking right to our heart that mm-hmm. something we need to correct. Any, any other ways that we would might do this? Can we done? I'd like to lean on my own understanding. Too. <laughs> she said lean on her own understanding too much. I think we can do it by distractions. Like you know you have a problem, but you're just going to go read a novel and forget about it. Or you're going to go do, you know, grind into work because you're good at that. And this part, you know, maybe you're not so good at and you're not willing to touch it. Or what I'm kind of good at, I've, oh, I don't know, pretending stuff away. Like, okay, that's there, but this is the focus too. You know, this is important and, and kind of that kind of stuff. I put, um, I put the Pollyanna effect where you're like, well, I'm really good at tithing, but, you know, my gossip isn't that great. But to focus on, you know, 
things that you're better at than maybe looking at what's what's stifling the Holy Spirit there. So how do we turn from this? What's the antidote? What can we do? Any ideas? Pray. Pray. We can pray. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Maybe we tell somebody else and talk to somebody else about it. Maybe we journal and look for triggers. Well, I was uber crabby today because... Chad did something. You know, what was my trigger and what happened and how can I think about that and take it to God? You know, evaluate stuff, you know, and track stuff down. One thing I'm, I've been um, trying to help myself with is like when you start to judge people and, you know, something comes up that you've maybe gotten past that somebody else is doing. And then I try to think and I always try to say this to myself is in what ways have you done it, Michelle? What ways have you done that same thing? you know, and to, to, to um, soften the, have grace, essentially. Or where have I seen it in a movie and been entertained by it, but now I'm ready to judge somebody for it, you know? So just different questions I'll ask myself when I'm quicker to judge than I am to extend grace for somebody else. Okay, so let's go um, back up to the first question. I put Moses kept getting pushed aside by Pharaoh, yet... God kept on with more and more plagues, nine plagues. When he's going to war, he's really going to war here. And Moses continued pressing forward and approaching Pharaoh, and he was obedient. And then in Exodus 7, 6, it said they did just as the Lord commanded of them. So when we think about our difficulties in life, you know, whether that be your business, you're lonely, you have relationship issues, family situations, sickness, death, financial, marriage, being let down, basic health issues, all these things that we continue to battle, but we're told to press on and have perseverance. What encouragements about what Moses does? Because remember, he started out just, you know, self-doubt when he was called. He was a runner. He was a murderer. He had all these rejection things happening. And now he's to the point where he's continually getting rejected and he's continually going forward. So what encourages you about that? When you think about some of the things you keep coming up against. If you pause and think about it, Moses has seen God do what he said he would do. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good model for us. Patterns help us. We see the pattern of the Lord working in our lives. That's why it's good to be writing down when things go well, to be able to go back and look what God did. Look at reference it to scripture. Look what God continues to do. To draw from patterns. I think it's also helpful to see that even though God called him to that, it wasn't like the road was super smooth. It was very hard. Right. Encouraging it, looking at his, you know, his trials and that he continued to press forward. Even though he was a sinner, God called him. Yeah. By his obedience, finally, he went through with it. Did you guys hear it on there? God called him as a sinner. The other thing is, is he was 80 years old. That should encourage us, right? That it's not over. And he really wasn't crying at this point, where he started with that pattern of like crying out, don't send me, don't send me. But then now he's at this point where he keeps going back to Pharaoh. And it is interesting to think about how long did those plagues go on and how long was this you know, we don't know those things, but the other thing too, as I was writing and thinking about this is like, besides Moses, 
what is so encouraging is how God dealt with him and how God deals with us. Because without God's strength here, Moses would not have been able to continue. And showing the pattern of who he was and just building up that confidence is like when we're struggling and we're down and out to think about how God is building us. What are you doing with me, God? What can I learn from? How can I continue pressing forward even though there's so much pain? And God was always telling him, don't worry about what you're going to say or whatever. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. what to do and what to say because that was a big issue with him. Yeah. 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 Um, God is working out his plan regardless of hard things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And when you think about that, going to before Pharaoh continually and, and having to deal with that hatred must have just been absolutely daunting for him. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is an encouragement to us when God puts hard people in our paths and we hardly can stand to be with them or work with them or pray for them. And Pharaoh asks Moses to pray for him, even though he's acting the way he is. And Moses just keeps going on, mm-hmm. continuing. It's really, it's a lesson for us, really. Mm-hmm. Yep, of perseverance and, mm-hmm. and persistence. And um, the full obedience here of Moses was what was effective, because what started happening through the plagues? All of a sudden, the magicians are seeing the fingers of God. The people are going to hide their cattle because they know what's truth now. They're starting to see. And, and Moses' obedience to keep going back was was um, effective to things around him. And, and that can be an encouragement to us, too, that our obedience to God can be effective to other people. And then the other thing I was thinking is God's not, God's not limited because even in Pharaoh's disobedience, he was able to move and teach other people, you know, that that wasn't working. Um, and, it, you know, God's just not limited by that. And God's able to demonstrate his power of change to be able to work in someone's life when we think about the humble beginnings of Moses. So let's skip down to the third question. Um, all these plagues are hitting right at the heart of the Egyptian idols and false. That's an error there, little g-gods, if you want to correct that. God is pressing judgment and destroying all perceived value. For what purposes does God do that? So I want to start, I want to look at each one of these verses and we're going to start a list because the list is important. Um, And you're trying to apply this to your own situation and in in our lives today. So in Exodus 3, 7, 8, we'll start with that one. And as I'm reading it, pick out the purpose here. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so what what purposes do you see there? Why is God inflicting these plagues? He's fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Abraham. One thing about that I was thinking is, remember when he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. So you think about Pharaoh. Was he cursing the people? So God's promise was, I'm going to curse those who curse you. Um, So we're talking about God seeing the problem. And also you read about crying out. Now, we just had a prayer session, too. He's also answering prayer here. 
for the people that, you know, did still have a faith to answer prayer, crying out, this has got to stop. You know, we also see God having a concern for his people. Now, again, when I'm studying over this and I'm thinking, you know, what is the character of God here? And in verse eight, it says, so I have come down to rescue you. Marcia talks about the correlation between, you know, New Testament and Old Testament. I'm thinking there and I'm sitting and I'm like, God, you're a come down God. You come down in our problems. And that just gives me goosebumps. And then I was prompted to think, what other ways have you come down? Well, let's talk about it. What other ways has he come down? And through Jesus. And what else? Holy Spirit. So when you're thinking about God and the character of God, it's like, God, I honor and worship you. You're a come down God. It's not just from above. It's getting in to the hurt and the pain. And that is something we need to take with us when we're applying these kind of less, you know, things to our lives. We have a come down God. Okay, then let's go to 7, 4 through 5. The other thing I wrote here um, from the last one is he went, uh, we were talking about bringing them to a better place. That's another reason he's trying to bring them to the better place, place that he promised. Okay, this, this portion says, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people of Israel, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So what purposes do you see there? He's delivering out. He's delivering out. He's got to do something with all this sin. There's judgment that needs to occur. He's delivering his people. He's also showing the Egyptians mercy and the Israelites mercy. How so? Because he's getting, they don't know who he is. They've rejected all of that. Well, now through the steps of the plagues, it's very obvious for them to see. You know, those magicians could copy it, but yet they could never take it away. You know, so um, that's that part. Now let's go to the next part, 822 to 23. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Another come down moment. I am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This, mir this miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. So it's for his people to know that they're his people. It's for people. It's for him to make distinctions, to demonstrate power. And, and this is no secret why he's doing this. Notice, he's saying this over and over and over again. He's not trying to be a secretive God that's secretly destroying things. Like, this is why I'm doing this. These are the reasons. So let's go to the next one, um, 9, 14 through 16. That says, or this time, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the plague that would have wiped you off the earth. 
Okay, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he's also doing it to honor his name, to know that, you know, he's the most high and he's not going to be confused with little G gods. It's not going to happen. And also um, the last part in 10.2, it says, He's doing all these things that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and know how I perform my signs among them and that you may know that I am the Lord. And so that's so you can share the wonder, the miracles, the beginning, the before and after picture of, of what happened here. And so I want you to look at your list here and I want you to think about this is the God that sees the problem. He's answering prayer. At the same time, he's working with the Egyptians. At the same time, he's protecting future generations. At the same time, he's proclaiming his name. So for all the things that you face in your life, there's more than one reason. And our God is capable to do many things with our problems and our struggles. And I just praise God for that. Because he's sovereign, and that's the character of God. I wanted to mention, too, all the things she just listed are acts of mercy on God's part. And so we don't want to get hung up on the fact that he hardened Pharaoh's heart and seems like a merciless God. He has all of this time been doing these miracles and wonders and signs, and the plague is designed to show people who he is so they will come to him. Not because he doesn't love them, but because he does love them. Mm -hmm. And when hearts are hardened, it's not because God is an unloving God, but that he is a loving God and has given opportunity to know him, and they refuse. Man's will is very strong. But what Michelle has said, this is a loving God who cares for those people, and he cared for the Egyptians, but they wanted him not so the next part of this lesson I think just due to time I'm just going to go through it um, relatively quickly here but what I was trying to do here is um, when, when Marcia was talking and we were kind of saying what Pharaoh said and how he responded to these plagues he kind of negotiates pattern is he negotiates and then it gets better and then he rescinds from it you know, and he has um, just a way of not following through with what he says he's going to do. And his heart is hardened, and then sometimes God hardens his heart. And we see this, this pattern throughout, this, this wrestling and, and um, that kind of thing. And so with these particular um, plagues, Pharaoh kind of adds a little something. So I want to read the little something and talk about how we as Christians, I, want, I don't want to talk about the world right now, I want to talk about us as Christians, how we might do, do the similar kind of um, compromise and concession in our own life. Again, not, not to, it's a warning. These, these things are put in scripture for us to, to glean off of and, and have an understanding, not to get everybody down, but we have these things that we can compromise and they need to be taken care of. Okay, so... That's where I'm coming from. So the first one is the frog's plague. So Pharaoh's response to that is he asked Moses to pray and take the plague away. But when the time is said, he says tomorrow. Because he just likes the frogs. <laughs> you know, do we like some of the frogs in our life? That kind of thing. So what are some, t what is concessions today 
that we might do that say, but wait till tomorrow. I know dieting's like that. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> what are some things we might say? I kind of talked about it earlier. I, I kind of think about repentance, keeping those short accounts with God. Like, okay, I just sinned. It kind of whoo, went over me, and I'm sorry, but I'm moving on and focusing on other things. You know, that's where we might say, mm, but wait till tomorrow. And then you, you can almost hear the, de- the, the devil or Satan whispering, you know, it, it's okay. It wasn't that bad, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> okay, so then the flies play. He tells Moses to go and sacrifice, but stay on the land. Pharaoh decides that they can go, but they need to stay close. And to me, a concession that I thought of thinking about this is where when you kind of have one foot in the world and one foot, you know, in Christianity where you're trying to serve two masters, you know, stay close. Don't be a full Christian or crazy, you know, that kind of stuff. You can hear the devil whispering. It's okay to have a little bit of the worldly heart in you. It's not going to poison everything else. It's like Lot and Sodom. Yes. She said like Lot and Sodom. Lot and Sodom. He wanted that city life, but he knew it wasn't right. And there was this... It's an internal battle happening. Yeah. Okay, then the hail plagues. So he tells Moses, I will let you go. Um, you don't have to stay. Then he found the re- relief, and then he rescinded his agreement. And that's kind of like when you think about your kid, be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, now I don't get my punishment, and then I just go back to it anyway. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that, that kind of situation where... Um, you know, God, this hurts so much. I promise to do whatever I can. I will be good. I will take care of business. I will start reading my Bible. If you could just take this one thing away. You know, it's kind of like that kind of a concession. Bargaining with God. Yeah, bargaining. Where you're not really truly repentant. You're just trying to avoid the hurt, the punishment. And that you would think of where the God, you know, the devil might whisper like he did in Eden where, oh, he's really, you don't, you know, it's kind of, God's kind of hard on you. Like, it's okay, you know. So then the eighth one is the locust. And we, I, I said it was number nine when we were talking to Marsha earlier, but it was number eight where um, he tells Moses that only the men can go, but leave the women and the children behind. That's his response. So you think about today, and Marsh and I were talking about this, and she actually gave me this one. Um, and it really kind of hit home because right now CJ, my oldest, is about to graduate. And all the scholarships and everything that you do is talking about all the accolades. So you feel like you're constantly... I literally have put a spreadsheet together of his accolades. Now talk about, you know, CJ, you know, (laughs) it kind of hit home where you're like, these are all the good things he's done, you know, all these things, which is not wrong, but it kind of convicted me a little bit where it said, you know, the concession that Marsha brought up is that um, for our children's sake, we can focus on them being, you know, of a worldly gain. Like, how far can they get in the world? How much education can he get? But the real focus and the real success that we're after for our children is godliness. Mm -hmm. How are they going to lead? How are they going to lead their families for generations to come? Are they going to be the ones telling what God has done in our family, you know, what has done in the past and all the things that God has done for us? Are they going to be going to the Bible and leading their family? That's what's important, you know? 
So really be cautious. And I think there's a line to toe. Like we have to still be in the world. He still needs these scholarships. Trust me. You know, so we're going to build them up as much, you know, that kind of thing. But but to not let it overtake. And, and that's a fine line. That's hard. Wanda, do you feel that way? <laughs> Shalane has said about putting God first. So that all of those things might be for the honor and glory of God. Those accolades he got, Lord, let them glorify you. Mm-hmm. And glorify yourself through him. Right. So that CJ becomes not only an honorable person, but one that stands fast. That all, of, all of the kids. Yeah, all the kids. That reminds me when you spoke, yeah. which really t- my, touched my heart. She was talking about, was it Kean? Kate. Kate. He, um, she prayed for him that he'd have strength, but not strength to play be- baseball, but strength for the kingdom mm-hmm. and courage, right? And confidence. And it just, it was an encouragement to me for sure. And I haven't, I, I think about that a lot. Okay, so the last one here, and this is the last one we'll do. The darkness plague. Um, This is where when the darkness plague comes, Pharaoh tells Moses, you can go, but leave your livestock behind. So concessions today might look like um, you can go be a Christian, but I hope your house looks like Pinterest. You know, like the possessions matter. You know, where just the value of possessions and keeping those things to yourself and lifting up those possessions and focusing your time and energy on all of that. Not that it's not nice to have a good looking house, but you got to find what your focus is. At the very end here, the other things you'll have to do, do on your own or whatever. But um, when I was studying, I'm obviously studying Exodus. Jen Wilkin made a statement. She's a teacher that talks about idols in our lives. And this really got to me. She said, God will topple the idols of our lives in order to soften our hearts to repentance. Can you relate to that happening in your life? God will disorder what we have ordered to bring glory to ourselves. Throughout scripture, we are warned as believers, do not fall back into idol worship. So think about in the coming week and be with God journaling. I don't know, whatever that you do to think about What compromises might you be making? How can I take this old scripture, like the New Testament says, and understand what they endured and what they did and how we have hope now today? This isn't just a story for us to read and pass along. It's to take into your heart and apply it to your life. So let's pray for that. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word and your leadership and guidance and Holy Spirit as we study these things, hard things, things to think about hard in hearts and let us focus on your character. Let us be women who honor you, talk about you, glorify you, put you first in our life, rearrange our priorities so they're what you want, Father. And I just pray for forgiveness where we don't, And I just pray and thank you for the encouragement that we take from your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.